Hello. How are you? I'm good. Wow, you're really loud. Now, there, I fixed it. (sighs) Wow. I wish I should have talked like this. No, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. It was me. It's me. It's Don. It's me. It's not you. I feel like I'm the the overnight DJ on the jazz station. (laughs) (laughs) Cool sound. I'm so glad you're not an overnight DJ station. <laughs> like there are there are so many things that I'm glad about. That's one that you, top I mean, on a, your list today. Yeah, I mean, what a loss it would be for us in the food safety world. If, <laughs> but but think about the gain it would be for the overnight uh, jazz radio world. The jazz the jazz folks. What, just think about all the jazz hands you could make. How do you know I'm not making them all the time when we're doing the podcast anyway, Ben? I don't know. Funny thing is, literally just made jazz hands while, while I said that. I don't know what, what caused me to do that. Um, speaking of jazz, Don. Mm, yes. Jazz is horrible. Oh, I'm sorry you feel that way, Ben. I really don't like it. I, I used to like some of it, like mm. some, some, some of the old, some of the old mm-hmm. stuff, yeah. some of the classics. Yep. Like, and by, uh, ben, we should clarify for the listeners by jazz. You you mean Kenny G? I mean uh, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff, Jeff and the Fresh Prince. I don't think that's actually jazz. It says jazz in his name. It does it does say jazz in his name? <laughs> oh, Don. So so I want to. I want this is not a jazz podcast. Um, but I but I want to. <laughs> I want to talk to you about jazz. This is a this is a this is a problem for me, Ben. I might I might have to break up with you. No, we can like different things. No, no, we have to like the same thing. We I, we both like our Apple Watches. That's true. We do. We do. Um, I I like punk rock, Don. I, I don't know where I, where you are on the punk. Rock. I I I like some punk rock, depending on how you what what you define as punk rock. Um. Okay. That's I good. like uh, I like the Ramones. Is that yeah, punk, that's rock? punk rock? Okay, yeah, I like sure. the Ramones. Then there we go. But yeah. but now but you were starting to, to before I tried to interrupt with the humorous statement. You were trying to qualify uh, your dislike of jazz, and I cut you off. No, I don't know. I just don't like it. I don't even know what I was going to say. Oh oh, I guess it's just that that there. I have this this CD back when they made the the CDs those uh-huh. little plastic things mm-hmm. um, that you would not play with a needle but with a laser with mm-hmm. your home laser system laser and you're 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 using uh, you're saying jazz hands when you're, you're doing jazz hands when you say laser yeah, right? yeah. jazz hands might be our new dick fingers <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i uh, i used to, I, I had this like uh, acid jazz compilation cd mm. that i don't even know where i got mm-hmm. and, I, and there was some stuff on there that i liked but mm-hmm. but it was mainly like old jazz that people had put house beats to oh yeah and i mm-hmm. like that i mm-hmm. that, that, but that's that's not jazz that's not mm-hmm. uh, that's not like <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's not jazz either <laughs> maybe that's my problem i think that's jazz <laughs> i think ma- mouth music is jazz yeah i, th- I think you just haven't listened to the to the right jazz but I, it's possible i you know I, I don't have a lot of jazz in my in my music collection, but uh, there's some of it I like. Like, have you ever heard Denny Thelonious Monk? I, I've heard of the the you've, monk. You've heard of Thelonious Monk. Okay, I, I'm sure I've heard Thelonious Monk, mm-hmm. but but it's not something that has grabbed me. Like, I need to, I, I need to get all every. I need I need the discography. Which, right, but that, but not, but every mu- all music should not necessarily make you feel that way, right? I, I, granted, yes. I, I just uh, the the stuff I, I get into these like ruts, not ruts. Ruts not the right word, but I, I've talked about it before. Where I'll just hit a groove with one song of one band, and then I need everything from that band. 
and, 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 or that's, you know, style of music isn't really a good, good example, but, but I'll, I, it'll be something that I haven't listened to before. And then all of a sudden I need, I need to find every B side live track that's available, even if it's Thelonious Monk live at the Newport Beach Festival. And, and, and I've not, there, there's not been one sort of artist or jazz styling that I would, that, that is the case for me. Like, like on punk rock, you mentioned the Ramones. The Ramones are one uh, of those, whatever phase I went through when it comes to, to punk rock, I needed everything the Ramones, all, you know, 760, 28 second songs that they produced. I needed, I needed all of them and I could listen to any of them and find some like, you know, something that I liked in it, but I've never, there's not one jazz artist where that's been the case for me. That's that's very interesting. So the because we are recording on a podcast, our podcast on a Monday as we usually do. Um, once again at ten o'clock, which seems to be the time when the lawn crew comes to my house. Perfect. Is, uh, yeah. So it's a little bit it's a little bit noisy here. I've closed the windows. Um, I, I could turn on the fan, but then we oh, have the the ceiling fan noise. But um, so your our discussion about music and what you like and what I like um, reminds me of my new favorite podcast, which uh, um, I want to share with you and with the listeners, and that is uh, a podcast called Reconcilable Differences. This is a new podcast with uh, Merlin Mann, who we've talked about before on this podcast, as well as uh, John Syracusa, who is a uh, programmer, Apple nerd type guy, famous for writing up until this last announcement, famous for writing his comprehensive, uh, extensive reviews of um, OS X, uh, the, the Mac operating system. And, and, and John and Merlin are both nerds, but, but in sort of different ways. And so they've, they've started a limited-run podcast talking about uh, the, their differences in, in the, as human beings. And, and uh, like just, it's just it's a lot of fun. So uh, highly recommend it if you uh, like Merlin or John or nerds talking. How how meta of us to be yeah, yeah. T- doing something like that? Like like uh, I didn't even know that, that that podcast existed. I'm so behind on my podcast listening. Yeah, well, you know, last time I hesitated to even bring it up because I knew last time um, uh, we talked. I think you were behind on your podcast. Yeah. I'm I'm actually not behind on podcasts. I'm just behind on literally everything else. Oh, that's okay. Including I mean, including uh, making our podcast for posting. <laughs> How about um, it's good to excel at least at at least one thing, and and podcast listening is a good. I mean, it's a it, it's a noble um, pursuit. Well, and and I'm also I'm also keeping my inbox very close to zero. Inbox zero, <laughs> um, not by doing stuff, just by getting it out of my inbox. So and there's that. Oh, excellent! That's that's absolutely perfect. Um, I, I so. So yeah, I don't like jazz, <laughs> but but it's I mean it's okay. We can have our differences. Well, I, I made a note to find uh, the Thelonious Monk in my collection and to share it with you, and then and then that, that can be your homework. Okay, all right, I'm I'm good with that. Uh, I'll give you. Let me let me go back and, and maybe this just has to do with my musical listening situation, like how I how I described it to you just now of I need to know everything about everybody if I if I like that artist or whatever it is. I mean, I, I've gone through phases with Lyle Lovett and John Prine and Otis Redding and like, you know, Jay Z and Kanye, uh, like various different types of music. 
and, and I could say, oh, I like, I you know, I've, I mentioned it before to you that I like, I like, I like me some hip hop, and and it's kind of a specific type that I that I like. But then I need to listen to all of it all the time, and then I'll then I'll drop out of that phase for a while. And so that's the that's the thing. I can't think of any other genre other than jazz where I have not had some obsession with like i mean I, country music I, there's there's been lots of uh, it's not you know not not a, a genre that i would say is my favorite or that i identify with but there are multiple artists where i, I will just you know listen to them only for for five weeks so maybe it's me it's weird no i, th- I think no i think you 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 are from what you describe i think this is a trait that is characteristic of nerds in that they get an obsession about a particular thing and then they go and they they want to learn everything about that thing and that reminds me too uh there is i am not uh, a, hu- a huge fan of uh of rap music or, or the rap music as the kids call it a hip-hop whatever it's supposed to be called these days um but i do own um, uh, a CD, uh, actually, actually c- CD and, and, and also a ripped version of that, um, from a band called Diggable Planets. Have you oh, ever yeah, heard? Yeah. 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 Oh, so that, so that's, so that's essentially, uh, basically, you know, uh, hip hop with jazz as the underlying music rather than, um, uh, R and B, I guess, which is, which is typically the, the, what is sampled for, uh, for hip hop as I understand it. Right, right. Okay. Then, then that. Then, then I'm I'm good with that. I think the Roots are probably like that too. You know of them? I've heard of them. They, I think, uh, or I know they are Jimmy Fallon's house band on the Jimmy Fallon show. Okay, that he does with the, you know, you know, they that guy Johnny Carson. He used to do that show on the television. On the yeah, on the the boob tube. Yes, <laughs> as it's known. Well, they uh, he does he does this thing with the Roots, and I think they do they do jazz styling. Um, type stuff. Not and when we when you go to Roots, not Roots the miniseries on Wikipedia. Or I don't know why I just clicked on Google Image Search for Roots because it's not the band. Huh. <laughs> hey, um, speaking of music, because this is clearly a music podcast now. Um, Danny and I on uh, the Fourth of July, or as I so affectionately call it in a text to you um, <laughs> a few days ago, um, the. Uh, Queen's Tax Evasion Day. Yes, <laughs> uh, we we went to a to a concert in Raleigh with the kids for the first time, taking them to a a, a concert that was not in a parking lot somewhere. Right, I, I saw that, and it was I my first reaction. I think you posted about this on Facebook, or or Danny did and tagged you. My first reaction was that doesn't seem like an appropriate concert for kids. Um, I, so the <laughs> we went to see the Violent Femmes, which. <laughs> Yeah, maybe some of their lyrics might be suggestive. We might need an explicit tag on the podcast if we deconstructed them. Uh, but then the other one was Bare Naked Ladies, and Bare Naked right. Ladies. I mean, they essentially write kids songs. They, they do yeah. kids kids songs for for grown. Yeah, one for of my favorite one of my favorite bands. Yes, and, indeed. And have you have you ever seen them in concert? Uh I think I have seen them once, but I might be confusing that with their live album. <laughs> I listened to their live album a few times. Um, they are they are entertainers. They mm, they mm-hmm. they have a stage presence in a stage show that um, I've I've seen them three or four times, and every time I see them, you know, there, there are songs that I like of theirs, and I like I, they're just fun to watch, like. like 
like the music aside from the music the byplay between the audience the the commentary is is really good and they're just very quick musicians so we're we're in a uh, the concert is held in in an amphitheater in downtown Raleigh very close to the train station and um the concert didn't start right right you know it didn't start um uh, at a you know there was a, a gap in between performers because it was Fourth of July and there were fireworks and so the Baronicke ladies came on a little late later than you know than people would expect them and um, near the end of their show uh, the eleven o'clock train left Raleigh right behind the amphitheater and so this Amtrak goes by and it's honking not honking its horn because they don't have horns it's a whistle I guess blowing its steam whistle. And, uh, and, and then the, the bare naked ladies, um, just break into, uh, Black Sabbath's crazy train. <laughs> like, like there's no way that they could have planned that. Or maybe they're that good that they're like, Hey, we're near a train station. Maybe a train comes by. And if, if it does, then we'll play crazy train. But this, like in the middle of a song, they just switched gears and started playing crazy train. No, that's that. That's well, no, and I suspect that, like all good musicians, they are probably pretty quick, and they have all played together. Uh, they have played with each other many times before, and they probably know that they know that. And so, yeah, I mean, then that's that's the that's the thing about being, you know, being a, a great a great band uh, is you have that ability to improvise and to go off on riffs and, and react to the audience, and you don't have necessarily a, a, a straight ahead, uh, you know, uh, set list that's 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 you know really. Uh, locked down so right right do you all right here's a philosophical question to move this into what you and i do not when we're listening to music like in our in our other in our other life of food safety when when you give talks so say you're you've been invited not a not a talk that you're giving on um a specific you know paper or set of research um activities that, that you've done at a you know at an academic conference but but for for instance for a symposium or when you when you were traveling around a lot as as the uh on the board of IAFP and you got invited to go give talks do you have like do you improv a little bit like do you do you have a you know a, a, a maybe five or six stories that you want to tell and have a slide deck that allows you to to do that and go off on where the audience is and like based on maybe the two or three um speakers before you <laughs> that's a very specific question that's a, no and it's a very good question too and let me let me answer it but the short answer is no i don't do that and i have seen i have seen your slide decks and and i'm i'm very envious of your ability to put together slide decks which are really just a series of photographs and jumping off points and that is that is something that i aspire to and and again um you know we we have been and maybe this will even come i doubt this will come out before annual meeting but we have in in the past promoted the fact that that uh merlin mann is going to be talking at iafp and he very much does that he's very much has these slide decks and he's got a certain story arc but again not a lot of words uh and there is a central theme but he riffs on that theme um, when I uh, prepare my talks, it is uh, it typically 
Uh, I would say for a 40 for a 40 minute talk it's probably two stories and and when I say a story and this is something that I've I've cribbed from from you and Doug it is basically uh, a a a series of events that results in a report being generated or a paper being written, right? So it yeah. is it is an interaction that I had with somebody from the industry, and I tell that story with the point of you know making points about risk assessment and modeling to the audience. And because of my presentation style, because of my thinking style, um, I have I, I do have slides with pictures, but as I refer to them, uh, they are they are figures and graphs, right? So <laughs> right, um, right. they're not they're not photographs. And so I will prepare uh, a, a set of remarks, and, and in that set of remarks, there will be two or three uh, full stories with the beginning, middle, and end. Now, what I am absolutely not afraid to do, and I have gotten better at, I think I've gotten better at over the years, is to listen to the people speaking before me, to look at the audience, to judge the audience, and then to not be afraid to go off script, right? Like, so in other words, I have, uh, you know, two, two or three stories that I'm going to tell. But at any point in telling that story, I might make a left turn off into the weeds because there is something really interesting off in the weeds. That, and I know I will come back and I will pick up my story where I left off, but there's something really interesting in the weeds because of something that someone else said or because of something that just occurred to me or because of something that someone said to me at a break or or something um, or, or who knows I mean the mood just might strike me hey let's go you know I kind of know there's a thing over here that I want to go and point out to the audience and and, and, and to get them to think about so so the, the short answer is no I don't do that and the long answer is yes I do that but but in my own my own way and there's more there's more structure in the talk behind those jumping off points that's that's good I, that it, so, I mean, I set you up for the question trying to describe how I've been approaching talks recently. And, and it really is based on watching Merlin Mann deliver his talks. Nice. And yeah, it, it, there, I can't remember. I mean, I, I've seen, I, I've not seen him in person, and I look forward to that in less than a month. Um, but, but there, you had shared with, um, a, a video of the talk that he gave at Rutgers. Uh, and then there was this other talk that he gave in New Zealand, I think it was, where he asked people to write yes. on index cards before about fear or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. But that was when I viewed that talk, that was, became like, oh, man, I think I might be able to do something like that. Like that was um, – freeing, I guess, in a way from my, from my thought of how I approach things. Cause I, I have very much have, have stories that are associated with, with pictures and up, I guess up until that point, those, the picture dictated the one story and that, that I would deliver. And, and then there might be some, you know, some figures or some other text or some bullets that would go behind that to, to explain it. But, but watching that, you know, the presentation, we'll link to this one. I think it's got to be on the internet somewhere. I think I downloaded it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on YouTube and it's also, he links to it on his, uh, his, his 43 folders blog. And I've, I've, I will, we'll put both of them in the show notes, it's, the Rutgers yeah. talk and the, uh, the, the scared, uh, crapless <laughs> talk, uh, yeah. at, uh, 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 Webstock. 
Yeah, yeah. It was, but it was like the first time where I started thinking, how can I put enough meat into my presentation that if I don't have something that strikes me in the two hours or five hours before my talk, that I can I can go off what I have. But if something happens right then that that I can connect to better with some of the the data or activities or whatever that, that I'm, that I'm doing. And I can sort of drive that point home that maybe my pictures can be five or six different jump. Like the picture can lead to five or six different pathways and then how to bring it back somehow to, to some point. So I, I guess probably since the last time that you and I recorded a podcast, I've been, um, I've given a, a couple of talks, maybe, I don't know. Let me look back at nerd dates here. Anyway, it doesn't really matter when it was. But I, the last two talks that I've given, um, one was uh, for a, uh, a group of um, folks that uh, Ecolab brought together from um, Food Service. And another one was for uh, a, a group of folks in the retail industry that FMI brought together. I used almost the exact same slide set, like save for maybe four or five slides and one different story about melons. And, and Tom Ford, our, you know, our common friend, Tom, Tom Ford from Ecolab was the only common person in the two, um, you know, in the, in the audience for those two talks. And he was like, he said to me afterwards, he's like, I don't know how you just used the exact same slide deck, but told a totally different, like not even the same close to the same talk. And I was like that, it, it was the most like, rewarding comment that I've, that I've received around talking because I'm, I was like, that's, it, it's taken me maybe four years of watching that Merlin talk and trying to figure out where I go with things to get to that. That was exactly what I'm, what I'm trying to, um, what I'm trying to do when I, when I do, like I, I when, when I'm, when I'm out there giving a talk, I want to, I want to tell a science story and I want to figure out who the people are in the room that might want to know something that, that we've, we, you and I have talked about or Doug and I have written about or Doug's written about at Barf Blog as this is something that's important that you might not have seen or these three things together. If you looked at them individually, they're all interesting. But if you put it together as, as a group of three, now it's notable and there are some common trends there. That that's essentially what I'm trying to do when I when I talk now, and- right? And there's there's a lot that has to happen. I mean, again, and it's it's just to you know bring it back to bare naked ladies again. There's a lot that has to happen before you can decide that you're going to play crazy train when right. a train comes by, right? Like number one, you have to be. Uh, a, a, a accomplished musician, right? So in other words, you're never going to improvise in a food safety talk if you are not really good at giving a straight ahead, follow the slide, step-by-step talk, right? So number one, you have to be able to get up in front of the audience. You have to be able to make words come out of your mouth. You have to a little bit be able to think about the next thing that you're going to say. You have to have some sense of where you are in the story. You have to have some sense of how much time you have left, right? You have to have some yeah. read of the audience. Number two, you have to have stories, right? You you have to have lived in the food safety world through getting a master's, through getting a PhD, through being an assistant professor, associate professor, full professor, whatever, right? You have to have, or working in the industry or working in government, right? You have to, you have, to have had 
all of that experience so that you have something interesting to – number one, you have to be good at what you say. Number two, you have to have something interesting to say, which comes from having that, that background. And then number three, you have to be able to do all of those things at the same time without really dropping any balls or at least if you drop the balls, make it look like it was part of the act or make it not be noticeable to the audience, right? And that is that is a lot of stuff. That's like juggling on a unicycle, right? Right, right. And I, sort of living a little bit of that right now, I go through these like mind games with myself where sometimes I just think I'm being lazy, right? Like, oh, you are. Yeah, like you I are, but I, but it's okay because right, like that's that, that's the thing. Like it, it all seems to work out, but I'm not doing. I, I'm just like doing it differently, I guess, than I used to do it, and differently than others. Some some others approach it, and it's easier for me to walk up with 18 slides and fill an hour on the things that I want to talk about. I mean, it's, it's very much how we do what we're doing right now. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say giving talks like that is good preparation for the podcast, but also doing the podcast is good preparation for that talk. Cause I know like, like for example, um, and we joke about, you know, which is actually just, it's a riff uh, that I've ripped off directly from, from back to work. Um, You know, I I like the ones where we don't prepare, like, right. So I'm pretty sure, uh, no, I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure that I have not prepared. Right. Right. Um, But I'm also pretty sure that you haven't prepared because I didn't see anything in the Dropbox. Um, But yet I think and we're, you know, we're 25 minutes in and we're talking about how the sausage is made right now. So that may jinx it. Right. And we may crash and burn spectacularly in about five minutes when we realize that probably one of us should have prepared a little bit. But but here's the thing. Um, Well, and, you know, the other thing that I think helps with podcasting and with talking is listening to podcasts. Right. And not just the podcast that we do listening to. Again, you know, not to make it all about about a certain gentleman from the uh, western third of, of San Francisco, but um, but you know, it's a listening to people. It doesn't have to be his podcast, right? It can be a podcast with anybody, but listening to people that are good at talking talk. And again, you know, let's make it about uh, another, another podcast, Roderick on the line, right? And and John Roderick, and I've also so he has another podcast, which I think he stopped doing because he started running for office in Seattle called Roderick's Rendezvous. And it's sort of John Roderick's take on uh, a Prairie Home Companion, right? Where, where there's a portion of the show where John just tells a story and it is really it's like it's like how do you how do you become a good writer you read how do you become a good talker you listen to people who are good talkers talk right and and so that to me is something that i had sort of i had sort of been putting together in my head but i don't think until we were having this conversation right now i'd actually gotten around to articulating that and so yeah so um anyway let's not prepare (laughs) no well exactly or maybe Maybe we just prepare at different times or differently. Like the, I had, um, I've talked a little bit about Sarah Wilson in previous podcasts. She's um, a, a good friend from from Guelph who um, works now for the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture and Food and Rural Affairs. Before, um, I don't know, five or six years in, in grad school, she worked for Doug and she ran this information center. And and she had um, she was this the uh, this you know somewhat somewhat she is a somewhat quiet individual but was always there with like gems of advice and and she'd probably out of out of anybody she probably saw 
when I was in grad school, at least she probably saw me talk more than anybody else. Like she, we just happened to be at the same meetings and, and we, you know, she, she just was there for a lot of, a lot of the presentations that I was given as I was trying to, you know, work on my craft of, of how do I do this? And, and she, you know, she said, I can really tell the ones that you prepare for that, that the stories are, are tight and you can make the connections, but the preparing for it isn't, it's, it's different. It's, it's more of this, like that, that I took time beforehand to think about things and made sure that I had a picture that would trigger the right story, not that I wrote the right text on the slide. You know what I mean? Like, so, so I, I, I guess I, I prepare, it's, it's, it feels lazy sometimes when it comes to these talks where I don't have, I haven't memorized what my script is, but as I'm reading things that we, that we pull for news, I, I file away. That's a good story. That's a good slide. Right. That's something that I can think about. So I'm preparing kind of on an ongoing basis, not in a five hour time frame that I sit down the week before the presentation. Right. You're, it's like, you're always, you're always preparing. Yeah. And, you know, and I have like, I have talks that I give that are sort of iterations on the same talk where I may pull a slide in or pull a slide out. And those ones are easy, but then there's ones like the one that I gave at the produce marketing association a couple of weeks ago, which was basically a brand new talk, right? I mean, there's elements of other talks and then I'm giving one at the predictive modeling conference in Rio de Janeiro in September. Um, I'm thinking about that one because they made me write an abstract and it's on it's on modeling viruses and and parasites and it's like I don't I've not done any research on parasites and I've done a little bit of collaboration with people doing stuff with viruses. I got no idea what I'm going to say, but I, I think I know the kind of stories I want to tell. And I know, you know, again, in, in a way I've been preparing uh, my whole career because I've been collecting data right. in papers in a database that I know I can pull down. And, and, and then again, I've been figuring out because of work done with the students, I've been like sort of like pr- figuring out like, okay, how do, how do, <coughs> excuse me. How do we think about um, uh, modeling for viruses? How do we? How would we think about modeling for parasites? Right, and and all of that is a story that could that could be could be told. Now that's going to take a little bit more preparation because it, I do have to do some data analysis and I'll have to make some some um, um, some figures and I'll have to you know think about that a little bit, but but probably not as much as I would have had to, you know, back when I first started telling, uh, telling stories. Right. 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 And it's, I don't know. It's about for me being kind of flexible and figuring out where those, where, where you identify a story that goes into the right stream of a talk, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like this is, yeah, that, I don't know. I wish I could, um, I wish I could articulate that better, but it's it's just like plugging stuff in. I use Evernote for it a lot. Mm-hmm. Like from a workflow standpoint, I just have, especially as I, as I have a talk that is coming up, say, six, eight weeks from now. And a good, great example, this is you and I um, back probably 18 months ago or two years ago, we talked about um, some stuff on filth and spices. And then um, we were... Uh, contacted by um, someone from the American Spice Trade Association. Do you remember that? 
I, I, sorry, I'm on mute. I do. Yeah, okay, good. And I can't remember uh, Cheryl, Cheryl Dean from the American Spice Trace Trade Association. She said, hey, can you guys come down and like do a, a talk? And you weren't available, and I went and gave a talk there. But for probably 12 weeks before that talk, every time I saw something that might be related to spices in food safety, so anything that was low-moisture food, anything on traceability with ingredients, anything, I would just throw just little bullet points of, you know, I could do a picture on uh, on dried basil and this is what I could talk about. And then I just kind of have this running list of stuff that would go into the spice trade talk. And then I built the slides really from that, from that list of notes. I mean, probably the day of, or, or close to like maybe two days before I remember going to, it was in Charleston. I remember sitting, it was, the talk was on a Monday morning. Uh, I drove down to Charleston Sunday afternoon. I went to a bar and, uh, drank a couple of beers and and found pictures on Google, Google Image Search based on what I had in my Evernote file and made the slides. And then mm-hmm. I've used those slides, and that that has become the the jumping off point for the last three or four talks that I've given. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. That's the that's the sausage making of my work. Yeah. No. And it's it sounds remarkably like what I do, except different, of course, as with so many things. So yeah. No. Very 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 nice. Hey. Um. So so speaking of stories, um, I learned about a thing. Um. From so we were uh, over the holidays. We were visiting uh, my family in, in upstate New York, and I learned about a thing from my sister in law. Um. Uh, which is um, once I researched it a little bit is is terrifying. Um, have you uh, have you ever heard of something called salt rising bread? No. Okay. So. So I, I'll read from the Wikipedia article, which, as we know, Wikipedia is never wrong. Um, so salt rising or salt risen bread is a dense white bread widely made by early settlers settlers in the Appalachian Mountains in a process that involves no yeast. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, if it involves no yeast, what is the microorganism? Well, of course, it's lactobacillus because it's sort of like a sourdough. But guess what? One of the main rising agents apparently in salt rising bread is a bacterium called Clostridium perfringens. Really? Have you heard of Clostridium perfringens, Ben? I've, I've, we've come, we've crossed paths. Yeah, so oh. hopefully not uh, intestinally. No, 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 just in, uh, in, on the interwebs and in, in the books. Yeah, so this is this is a food poisoning organism, and and if you go and you Google salt rising bread, and you find the Wikipedia article or you find other articles. Huh. Um, this uh, this sounds like this is something I would never recommend that anybody do. Now, obviously, um, you must be able to do it with some degree of safety and and maybe there is something about the baking process that gets rid of uh, viable cells of clostridium perfringens but this is a spore forming organism and if you have uh, high levels of this this organism again it's one of those organisms that you it's not a low dose pathogen right like salmonella or e coli you probably need a fairly high dose to have a significant probability probability of illness but uh, still not something I would recommend that people huh. do. So anyway, salt rising bread. Uh, uh, thumbs down. <laughs> so let's let's talk, let's do a little quick uh, risk assessment on this. Okay. So uh, it sounds like just again going from the Wikipedia page here, we've got some sort of a starter, um, and we are somehow selecting for perfringens with uh, with this starter. So it is. Um, made from wheat flour, starter consisting of liquid, water, milk, 
um, either corn, potatoes, or wheat, or some other minor ingredient. So my I, my assumption is that the perfringens are is introduced on that dry product, or at least the spores are. Um, and then uh, we are going to incubate it for six to sixteen hours at ambient temperatures or slightly above that 38 to 45 degrees celsius or for our american brethren like like me potentially soon to be um and then you 100 uh, to 113 fahrenheit um so if i have some some perfringens in, in here i'm going to grow it uh i'm going to take it from the um uh spore state I'm going to outgrow it to a vegetative cell and I'm going to grow it. And I, that perfringens is then going to, um, you know, I guess essentially ferment the, is it a, yeah, I guess it's like, yeah. So it's going to add some, um, it's going to change the pH a little bit. And the, the risk being that some toxin is, is created. Um, but Don, am I not going to, bake that toxin out and and kill the vegetative cells that are growing and maybe some spores will survive well yeah and so i so the the risk that the 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 situation where we know the most about clostridium perfringens is in uh, cooling of cooked meat products where the spores survive the cooking process. Uh, this, this, the heat of the cooking process encourages the spores to germinate. Uh, the spores become cells and the cells grow in the food, the meat typically, or it, also there's been some research by Amy Simone at University of Florida in, in be- and other people uh, looking at beans. And again, it's a risk in, in beans as well. Um, uh, as you cool that product slowly, um, you basically take it through an incubation temperature and perfringens is a very, very rapid growing organism. And so you can get multiple uh, log increases, especially if you, if you spend a lot of time in that in that uh, incubation zone or danger zone um, and then you experience illness when you ingest these cells the cells go into your intestine when the, the cells uh, are in your intestine they they lice and then that some of the the cell components uh, actually cause the cause the symptoms so there's a, a toxin that's contained in the in the inside the cell which liberates in the intestine. It's not an infection. I guess it's. I guess it's a sort of an intoxication, right? So yeah, it's toxo mediated. Yeah, toxo mediated. Whatever. Whatever that yeah. means. But um, so yeah. So if if the baking process kills the vegetative cells, you could have spores. Um, I suspect that after the baking process, the the bread is a low. Uh, low water activity, um, and so you're probably during the cooling. Well, and the bread is stored ambiently, right? So right, it's right. not refrigerated. Yeah. So um, I'm assuming that the low water activity stops the uh, microorganisms from um, gr- the perfringens from from growing in the bread. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, obviously, people make this, and and people are not falling sick all the time. But I, I guess, I would want to uh, if if I was going to if I was if I was an extension specialist and I was going to publish a recipe for this, a la yeah. Elizabeth Andress and you know National Center for Home Food Preservation. Um, I would want to do some research, right? I would want to figure out exactly what the levels of illness, what the levels of, of risk are in this, and exactly you know what you know really how close are we to a potentially dangerous situation? Yeah, it's interesting. I like. I, I mean, this is why we do the podcast. 
this is it, it's a good discussion. I just sent you an abstract mm-hmm. that we'll include in the um, show notes from Juckett et al. from the Western West Virginia Medicine or Medical Journal from 2008 that talks about the microbiology of salt rising bread. And I can't find the actual PDF of the article. I can only get the uh, abstract here, but. Um, That's surprising because, you know, the, the West Virginia Medical Journal is, is one of those uh, leading medical journals um, in West Virginia. In the West, yeah, it is, it is up there with the um, south, southern counties uh, uh, diagnostic medicine journal in West Virginia that you might not be familiar with, but it's one of the Appalachians' best medical journals. Uh, um, but and so anyway, does it? We don't have a whole lot of numbers here, but uh, according to the abstract, the salt rising bread starter samples were cultured at the University of Pittsburgh and were abundant for perforations mm. type A grout of all samples. However, none of the cultures were positive for enterotoxin. Um, yeah, and but, I, I will say, I mean, as much as we love to make fun of the West Virginia Medical Journal, um, actually, uh, one of the authors, I recognize the third author, um, uh, yeah. Bruce, Bruce McLean, who is yeah. a very well-known perfringens researcher, publishes in all the great journals, uh, AEM, <laughs> JFP, so all, the, all, the, all, all the great journals. Um, <laughs> Has he ever published in – I'm not sure if you're aware of, of uh, Bruce McLean's publishing record in the West Virginia Journal of Food Protection? Um, no, I, I am not. <laughs> It's a regional. Not. It's another regional journal that, that that is very very popular in the mountains. Um, <laughs> no, but but in, I mean the, some some interesting stuff. So I mean, should the, here's the heart of the uh, of the you know conundrum that we have here is we need to use a common foodborne pathogen to make this this product. The product at the end hasn't had any historic link to foodborne illness that we know of. Um, and it seems like that product might might be fine for all the reasons you described, but fostering the growth of perfringens in a home kitchen, is that a good idea or not a good idea? Uh, well, I'd say most definitely not a good right. idea, yeah. right? Well, can you make this product safely? It seems you can, yeah. um, but again, not, not something that I would necessarily uh, recommend to people. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's a good, that's a good story. A little salt rise in bread. There's, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if we talked about this before, but sourdough, um, say, you know, similar type of, of a process. There was some work that was done, I think at Cornell, maybe back 10 or 15 years ago that taught, you know, that looked at the pH issue around sourdough culture, which, which often people will keep at room temperature for, for a long time, right? A- ambient temperature for, for a long time. And it's got a lot of moisture. You know, you're constantly adding some food to keep the the culture growing. Um, it, it, is it possible to grow, um, you know, pathogens that that create heat table, stable toxins um, from the stuff? And I'll see if I can find this. Um, I believe that the answer to that is no, not likely because of the parameters, the pH parameters, but. Um, could you have acid tolerant E. coli 157H7 survive in a starter culture? Absolutely. Although the baking process would, um, would take care of, uh, you know, reduce the risk at least. Right. Right. Fun, fun stuff. I don't like sourdough bread. You know, this is so funny. This came up the other day too. I think maybe in part in response to this conversation, uh, I'm not a huge fan and, and my wife really doesn't, doesn't like it. <laughs> 
It's not. It. I mean, it's. It is sour. Mm-hmm. I don't like my bread. And kind of doughy. <laughs> doughy and sour. And you put those things together, make a bread out of it. It's. It's just not my jam. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> even with jam, it's not your jam. Even, even with jam, I. Uh, I, I have enjoyed sourdough bread as made into French toast. Huh. With Because, you know, French toast has, you know, you put other stuff on it and there's syrup. And syrup. Yeah, mostly there's syrup. <laughs> mostly I like the syrup part of sorry, It doesn't really matter. You know what? I don't like rye bread. Really? Oh, I, li- I do like rye bread. I don't. I really don't like caraway seeds. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no, I'm not a fan of rye bread. I like pumpernickel. I guess pumpernickel is a, a form of rye. I don't know. We're reaching the limits of my bread-based expertise. <laughs> well, Don, this is bread safety talk now. <laughs> uh, not, not to be confused with the band bread. Right. Or um, Are or they the Canadian? Band. I don't think so. Okay. No, we can't, we can't claim those. those <laughs> folks. Um, hey, so just to jump around a little bit mm. we, we have some so we we both now have apple watches oh we do we do i've 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 managed to uh resist the urge to uh send you my heartbeat because <laughs> that seems a little bit too intimate i i did the i was um grocery shopping uh on saturday and i sent you a very cryptic touch message <laughs> Which I I mentioned to you in a text. I tried to write 165 F. Oh, and 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 in 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 retrospect, it was cl- perfectly it was clear. clear what you were doing. I just didn't have any context. Zero context, and I just said it's the bat signal for us. Not the not the bats signal. That's a different signal. That's a different signal. That's I usually get the bat signal from a text from him, which I received. We haven't mentioned Mike Bats in this whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> He did send me a text yesterday, or no, on Saturday that says, attention, right now, Beats 1 is doing an hour in appreciation of Eric B. and Rakeem's paid in full. Yes. Because we both share. I, I don't know what any of that means, it's, except it's, maybe Beats 1. I know what that means. It, 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 yes. Um, we share this love of uh, late 80s, early 90s rap and hip hop. Okay. And Eric B. and Rakeem. Um, they, it, was a, it was a fantastic album. I, yeah, you know, and it's funny. The nerds on the podcast have been talking about uh, Beats music, and I am uh, all I can say is we had a party at my house last weekend. The you know the 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 weekend before the Fourth of July weekend, and my graduate students came, and they're awesome. Um, and I it was kind of quiet when we, when everybody first came. Or actually, I was getting ready and getting set up, and it was kind of quiet. And I said, you know what, I'll get the little player out and I'll get my iPad out and I'll play some music, but I don't have a lot of music on my iPad, but I do have iTunes match and I can play iTunes radio. Now at that point I knew there was other stuff besides iTunes radio, but I made a, I turned on the fountains of Wayne station. Excellent. <laughs> um, cause we're in New Jersey and, uh, you know, that's a, that's a New Jersey based band and, and it was awesome. It was great. And I know people, you know, are talking about how beats is so great because it's curated and, and all of that. But I thought the, 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 the auto magical, uh, fountains of Wayne radio station was pretty darn good. So, Hey, I, whatever, um, I, I, I'm jumping into, the you know the the beats spotify um apple music all all of it even apple radio which i i people did not like it and i i use it all the time i i like I, you know i i like the randomness as well as the curated side of things depending on what i'm what i'm looking for i one um the original you know not 
not the newest Apple Music, but when the Apple Radio launched, um, I was I remember I was traveling and I was driving across Illinois to a talk and I listened to um, Beastie Boys Radio and it was it was awesome. And I have continuously reached back to that radio station because it was all like Eric B. and Rakeem stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, there's something to that. And I guess that, you know, and it didn't – I was listening to, to one one podcast somewhere about about Beats Radio and they were talking about like it's it's good because it's curated. But it's also bad because it's right. curated. It's like it's like a throwback to like if on on uh, on the whatever the Fountains of Rain Wayne radio station. If I don't like the song, I can just skip to the next song. Well, the way my understand and this this I did not realize it worked this way because apparently I don't know about technology. But the the way. Um, Beats Radio works is there's an actual person DJing that music and you can't skip it because that's what's live right now, right? right. And so um, I, that's that's horrible. That's a radio. That's old-fashioned in your car, don't like this song, got to turn it off radio. Like why would anyone want that? I, that uh, except that if it's just so fantastically perfectly curated, I guess it's okay. Right, and it's it depends on what you're what what you want want right then. Like right. sometimes I want that I want someone to show me um, the best way that it was described in something I read last week was it is going to tell you music that is right beside the music you like, right? Like as like, selected by a person correct, who correct. thinks that it's beside it, right? Yes, as yes. opposed to some algorithm, and and that's fine. I mean, you know, people are smart and they can do good clever things but i'm just i i don't know yeah, yeah i'm i'm not i'm not convinced and i haven't tried it but i'm i'm also i'm not convinced so yeah, well it's it's uh I, I sometimes i like that and sometimes i like just the randomness yeah well and most of the time honestly most of the time if i'm walking or in the car i'm listening to podcasts i'm not listening to music um i can't listen to podcasts while i work i can't always listen to music while i work um one thing that i have subscribed to and i probably i'm paying for it and i probably should use it more is a service uh, called Focus at Will, and I think we've talked oh. about this. Um, so basically, what Focus at Will is is it is a it's a streaming service, and you you pay for it. And what they do is they play essentially electronic music to help you focus. Right. And so, and and I have found it to be it sounds really stupid and gimmicky. Um, I started uh, I started this I think the last time I was in Brazil because I do remember listening to it on the uh, just from whatever the context was trying to be productive in, in Brazil. And there's a free trial period. And then after that, you pay like a monthly fee. And, and, you know, and again, they're, 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 I don't know, they're doing clever stuff with your energy level and and you can skip songs. And I don't know, it's just, uh, I'm, I've been very, maybe, and maybe it's just all like nonsense and smoke and mirrors, but, but it sure seems to help me focus. So anyway, free, free plug for them. Yeah, it's I you mentioned that in a previous podcast and I haven't I haven't jumped into it. Yeah. So, and well, and I'm paying for it and not using it. So, there you go. Yeah. Well, I I, I, I did use it the other day, which maybe which was why I'm thinking about it now, but but you know, it's weird because I don't know why I'm not using it more because it really does seem to help. I guess it's like if I if I know I have to sit down and do some heads down writing and I don't want to, if I can just remember to turn that on and give it 10 minutes, I'll be like cruising away right i'll be i'll be into it and doing it and you know getting the getting the writing done do you think that maybe here's a here's a meta question for you 
do you think that maybe you're not sitting down to turn it on because you really don't want to sit down and write? <laughs> yeah, probably. I should. I should. Uh, I tell you, what, I'm going to make myself comfortable. I'm going to lie back, and, and you're going to psychoanalyze me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will. Done. Good. I'm Academic uh, psych talk. Yeah. Funny you should say that because I'm already lying back and I'm very comfortable um, <laughs> here here in my office. Um, nice. You have one of those uh, those fainting couches. Have um, our good friend Gordon Hayburn and Andrew Clark. Our good friends Gordon Hayburn and Andrew Clark. Have you, have you been to visit them in, in Toronto? Have you been there to their new house? Because I was there last week. We, oh, well, I visited them. Um, we probably visited them last summer. So is that the same house they are, the, with the pool that they live yes. in now? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Was there a massive chaise lounge in their living room? Like by massive, I mean Danny and I sat on it and there was room for both of our children on it if, we, if they happened to be there. Like it was like a bed. In their living room, I that was very comfortable. Th- they had they were well couched. Um, they were <laughs> sufficiently cushiony couched. You, um, you would I don't. This. I yeah. Remember. I don't. I don't think I remember. I don't think. Uh, I, I don't think there was a chaise lounge. There was ample. There was ample places to sit and be comfortable, but but not not uh, chaise lounge. This would have been notable. Notable. This mm. chaise lounge deserves its own Wikipedia page. Wow. That's how. It, wow. But anyway, that was uh, we we were doing some. Uh, uh, it would have been the right type of environment to do some psychoanalysis on your writing. Excellent. <laughs> um, I had something else I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, oh, hey. So I this is another Apple situation. I, I purchased a new MacBook, like the new 12-inch MacBook. Oh, the one port. The one port, which I love. Except for one flaw right now. When you need more than one port. No, no, I <laughs> no. never oh. I never need more than one port. Whoa. You're the you're their target demographic. I am. Then. I never the I, I need one port though that connects to my Thunderbolt screens. Oh. Mm-hmm. And the USB C does not. Yeah. And in the nerds, whatever they say, they say no chipset, blah blah blah, zero one one zero Thunderbolt USB doesn't exist. So so I can I have, I you know, I can use it when I go to a presentation. I can. There's a VGA out, but my beautiful 27 inch Thunderbolt displays that I have one on my home in my home office and one in, in my office here um, on campus. I can't connect my new MacBook to. So, isn't there a USB C to something? There's not thing. There, Dingus? So there are ding. I have Dingai. <laughs> I have two of them. There is a USB-C to HDMI. There is a USB-C. And also in that same one is VGA out. But the Thunderbolt does not talk. So Son of a is, gun. I know, I know. That's, so, uh, you know, I got to think that Apple is going to fix that eventually. They've got right? to. Because it's, I mean, it makes no sense. It, does, it makes no sense. And so the Cinemate, I think that's the name of the other large display they have, can accept uh-huh. a HDMI in this one. Right. The ones that I have do not. Well, and maybe maybe that's the solution is that they're just gonna you so, know they're just gonna not make those I, Thunderbolt um, uh, monitors anymore. But that seems weird. But you know yeah. it's Apple, so they they are not afraid to obsolete things and push right. us forward, right? Which which is fine. Um, so uh, I am still using my MacBook Air. Huh. Okay. And I, and I have uh, this MacBook, and I, I've. So here's how I'm using it. I 
have my MacBook Air and this is not going to be sustainable. But I use my MacBook Air when I'm at my desk. And then I have this MacBook that is in my bag that I will carry around, I guess, when I'm sitting on my lap. I really like it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's super thin and super light. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah, that was the only fault. I loved, the, I loved everything about it except for – and it's – I mean, it's got retina display, which mm-hmm. is, the MacBook Air does not. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, so I'm I, – yeah, I'm really happy with my retina MacBook Pro, but yes. but I'm sure when we should we should at at IEFP we should like get them out and like compare them side to side. I'm sure yours is like half the weight, and this is a, it's a because it's a 15 inch Retina MacBook Pro, and so it's a bit of a thing to lug around. But man, I just I love it. It's just screaming fast. It runs Windows, you know, for when I needed those legacy apps, and I just I think it's just fantastic. I could probably make the switch to using multiple. Uh, computers because most everything these days is in Dropbox for me now, which didn't always used to be the case. Even my like like my files with my students were in Dropbox, but now all my 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 own personal work stuff is all in Dropbox. So in case I need to look at that on iPhone or iPad, if, if you know if I'm in in a jam and I need don't have the laptop with me and I want to look at something, um, I can do that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, that seems, and I know that I've heard many of the nerds talk about this on many of the podcasts and raise just exactly that concern so it's it's unfortunate that there's not even yeah. even an ugly solution involving a dingus or two, even two two of them i would to, I, like exactly you know and, and i even started investigating that because i can do a thunderbolt to vga you know you whatever VGA, actually, and then vga to thunderbolt or right right yeah. i mean but yeah. i learned from the interwebs that uh uh the thunderbolt to vga is is only two-way or it's only one way, one it's way. not two way. So, yeah. anyway. but to give you a size comparison, and I'll show you when I see you, um, the MacBook is lighter than my iPad, and is one and a half inches longer, and maybe a third of an inch wider. And it's and, and it's and it has a larger wow. screen. Yeah, I mean, it's, wow, it's essentially a. Um, an iPad, but I don't know. So wow. I guess when I this is what my plan is. I'm going to use it when I travel mm-hmm. because I never need another. Like I don't. I don't need a uh, right. Yeah, you do, you don't have a uh, another. You don't. You don't. You, if you if you're if you're traveling with your Thunderbolt display, <laughs> you're probably not doing it right. I probably shouldn't be traveling. Yes. I can I. So I I used to do this really nerdy thing, um, rotisserie baseball. Mm-hmm. Have I told told you about this? Like we used to do this. So I do football still, but I used to do for about twelve years. I I did this rotisserie baseball league, which is now called fantasy baseball, mm-hmm. and it, it was before all fantasy football happened. So you you essentially draft players and track their stats throughout the year, and you build a team, and then you count up the points, and someone wins. And it got. I mean, the guys that I was doing it with, they we did it before. It was tracked on the in, or I guess the first year I joined the league was the first year that they had tracked it not by pen and paper, mm. and so um, it was done. You know, statistics were compiled on the internet, and we could track it all. This was like 1998 that I started in this in this league, and one year. So speaking, what made me think of this was one year the guy who runs the league, his name is Jay Perry. He showed up at draft day. He didn't have a laptop. But he really needed his computer, and the draft was taking place um, in um, in a hotel in downtown Toronto. 
and um, he brought his desktop computer, like monitor, tower, keyboard, mm-hmm. mouse yeah. to the draft. Yeah, and and needed it, needed to set it up, and so like he needed to bring his whole workstation um, with him because he had this magical algorithm that would would show him how to how to draft players. Um, and so, but this was back in the time before, like it wouldn't have been as ridiculous to bring a 27 inch monitor because he brought, you know, the old school monitors that are on the wire with him. Right. Like it it, it was like, it was a three person job for him to get his computer to our, our stupid fantasy baseball draft. Well, you know, I did, I did recently, this is funny to talk about this. I did. So I never played fantasy baseball, but, um, I, I do, I, I will admit to in high school and yeah, really in high school before I got to college, I will admit to playing Dungeons and Dragons. So I do, I do have, which is, which is basically fantasy baseball except with swords. (laughs) Um, uh, and, um, uh, but I did once, fairly recently, actually. I think on this same this same trip from New Jersey to upstate New York, uh, there's a regular there's a Starbucks that we stop at, a particular Starbucks. And I think no, or maybe it was somewhere else. But anyway, somewhere I was on vacation, not my regular Starbucks. Where I went into a Starbucks, and there was a dude with with a 27 inch Thunderbolt display and his Mac. No, like, working at the Starbucks. He, yes, yes. <laughs> he had the headphones on. He was I don't know if he was listening to music or doing whatever. But like he had his, he was at Starbucks and he was working with his it was his office man he had his, all his stuff it was the weirdest thing i'd ever seen do you think he was recording a podcast probably not probably he not but been. uh he but no he wasn't he, was he no he was just sort of sitting there and doing work i guess i mean at least oh. he wasn't looking at porn that would be really embarrassing but oh. um but yeah no he was just he was just there hanging out he was apparently was a regular nobody nobody really looked at him and thought it was odd oh man um did you see i'm gonna send you a uh a link here to, to check out. Did you see this story this weekend of uh, a rapper who recorded an entire album at an Apple store over a two <laughs> no. It's amazing. Over, I think it was a two-month period. Oh, my goodness. It's phenomenal. So, so this, this is, the, as the story goes, if you've ever been in an Apple store, you know how easy it is to walk up to a display computer and just start opening applications. Soho rapper Prince Harvey knows that feeling well as he spent four months creating a secret album from a display computer after his computer failed on him. The recording, oh the r- record fittingly titled Fat Ass, mm-hmm. which is um, an, an acronym for Prince Harvey at the Apple store so- Soho. Oh, nice. It's beautiful is comprised only of human voices, including hums and other mouth-made voices used for the beats. Nice. Um, it's phenomenal. It, like, this is what the internet's all about. And, and thank you, Apple, for, for doing it. It's really, it's good. Click on the, 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 the um, sounds, or not the sound, the SoundCloud uh, um, link, because it's, it's pretty cool to, to hear the whole thing. Oh, um, that's cool. It was really awesome. So um, the internet's awesome. So he recorded an entire record. An entire record at the Soho Apple Store. Oh, my gosh. Brilliant, right? Oh, it's very clever. Very clever. I'll hey, have to check that out. Yeah. I got, so I got a food safety question for you. <laughs> okay. Because it's food safety talk. It is. Um, did, have you, did you see over the weekend, we didn't have it in Barf Blog, but there was a little bit of coverage of a pet food recall for Listeria? I did not see that. So here's there's Maryland Department of Agriculture... Uh, notified Stella and Chewy's company that they must stop the sale order of their single lot of Chewy's chicken freeze-dried dinner patties for dogs 
15 ounce, ba- 15 ounce bags. Um, the Maryland Department of Agriculture just detected uh, listeria monocytogenes in the product. Uh, and then a recall of their entire product line um, hap- you know, happened. It's freeze-dried, a whole bunch of freeze-dried products. Kind of blows my mind. Not the fact – so you and I have, have talked in the past that we uh, both uh, sit on the steering committee for the Food Safety Preventive Controls Alliance and that Food Safety Preventive, Con- Preventive Controls Alliance um, is for both human food and animal and pet foods. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the fact that there is a listeria outbreak – not outbreak, sorry, a listeria-linked recall of pet food – is not surprising to me because we we have seen, um, and we've talked about this in the past. We've seen some salmonella linked illnesses to in humans to to pet food consumption as well as pet food handling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the you know so so the uh, the surprising part to me is the LM in freeze dried dinners and that being. Uh, you know, uh, I guess a, a potential risk. Why, like, why is that surprising to you? I don't know. Does it like? Is it? Is it not? I guess the fact that it was—it's a low moisture pet food. That um, I don't know. You—you're not surprised that. I'm never surprised that Lister is in anything. <laughs> um, There's the show title. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah. I guess. I mean, so. Yeah, and I, my and the 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 Skype our Skype connection is great. My internet is bizarrely slow with some things. Like I never could get forty three folders to load uh, to look at any of those Merlin talks. Although I did, they did find them both on YouTube. Um, so yeah, my internet is really slow right now. So I'm trying to click on this uh, ABC News story. But um, no, I mean Listeria. How you know? I once had. Uh, a friend and colleague Joe Frank uh, correct me uh, when I wrote or when someone wrote uh, listeria is ubiquitous because it's not ubiquitous, right? right? But listeria is a lot of places, right? And it is it is very good at surviving in the environment in and just like salmonella in the dry environment, listeria is very good at surviving in the wet environment. And so it doesn't surprise me that wherever they were making Stella and Chewy's um, uh, chicken freeze dried dinner patties, it doesn't surprise me that they had listeria in that environment. And um, if they didn't do a good job of sanitation and sanitation on food contact surfaces, again, just, I mean, I, you know, I think the Jensen cantaloupes is going to be with us a long time, but think about that packing house environment where they, and again, I would really like to know, okay, so what happened when FDA inspected the facility where this is produced, right? What was going on? I think it's pretty easy to, to create an environment. If you're not, if, if you're, I suppose if you were trying to do it, it might be, it might be difficult, but if you're, but if you're just accidentally stumbling upon, um, uh, a way to, you know, to, to make food that you're going to make uh, a listeria culturing um, and, and inoculating machine that's just going to pump out these these patties. And again, remember, I don't we don't know necessarily, again, no reported pet or human illnesses. There's a lot of product, but I guess the question is, you know, where did it come from and how did they find out about it, right? Was it just routine sampling where they found out about it? That's, so, yeah, that's what it yeah. says, yeah. Yeah. It, it, in, you know, interesting. I guess it... It comes back to the discussion that we've had over and over again about listeria, and 
what the risk is. You know, we it, it's it's clear that having the pathogen there from FDA or from the Maryland Department of Agriculture standpoint here, from from their standpoint, um, it's a ready food. We have a zero tolerance for it. You know, essentially, it's a ready you know dog food, mm-hmm. but we have zero tolerance for it, and there's there's a risk there. Um, be, or, or regulatory wise, we have some actions that we need to take because it's because it's there. Right? It, is there a, a risk, or what is? I mean, there's always a risk, but what is the what is the quantifiable public health risk of LM in an undetermined prevalence? Um, undetermined yeah. concentration, undetermined. Well, I would yeah. say, you know, my, my first guess is public health risk is low because we have no reported cases, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm realizing, of course, that, you know, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, right? There could be cases we just don't know about them, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I mean, I would say public health risk is low. But obviously this is a ready-to-eat food, um, and uh, you can't have listeria in a ready-to-eat food, whether that's ready-to-eat by humans or, or animals, right? Right, right. And I, I guess – this is the first one that I know of where we've seen LM in a pet food that that has caused some some sort of a recall or regulatory response. I mean, the the salmonella in pet foods is is common. I mean, that's that's not that is that's nothing nothing new. Right. But this one for that pet and animal food industry, um, this is this is you know FISMA in action uh, without really being. You know, without the rule being finalized, right, yeah. right, and 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 certainly we have seen um, we have seen numerous recalls for salmonella in pet food, and we have seen outbreaks for salmonella right. in pet food, and and again, not surprising, salmonella is relative to listeria as a low dose pathogen, you know, single single cell potentially causing illness, or at least uh, you know si- you know significant probability of causing illness, listeria, you know, bluebell ice cream, and and potential changes to our knowledge of listeria dose response. Pending, um, listeria is typically an organism where you need higher levels of the organism to cause illness. So, um, not 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 surprising that we have it because again, people are going to be looking for it. Again, it, this may be ramping up to for FISMA. And I, I do see the I see the link that you sent from uh, ABC Fifty Seven News um, there in um, uh, the wherever that is Chicago. Um, uh, but anyway, Maryland. But but again, obviously there's nothing that you and we'll link to this one story here in the uh in the show notes but you but you have no other information other than what's here right 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 it's just all, a yeah. line listing of different products um you know so but we don't know how they discovered it we don't know what the inspection of the facility revealed we don't know why they chose these lots of product right right you know etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah we just know that it came from routine in, uh, routine sampling of the product by Maryland Department. Oh, we do know that. Okay. Yeah, we know yeah. that, but but the rest of it we don't know. Okay. Um. So there was uh, as as I was doing a little digging while you were talking there. Um, there was a paper that came out um, about a, just over a year ago uh, that I just sent you the link for, mm-hmm. looking at the investigation of Listeria salmonella and toxigenic E. coli in various pet pet mm-hmm. foods, um, and um, this uh, analysis was done by um u.s or like fda fern 
mm-hmm. labs, yep. and they looked at uh, over a thousand samples over over two years, and found that um, of the 480 dry and semi moist samples, only two tested positive, one for Salmonella and one for Listeria grayi. Gray, gray I would say gray eye. Gray eye. Um, but um, during uh, 576 samples analyzed during phase two, 66 were positive for listeria. And of those, 32 were positive for LM and 15 uh, positive for salmonella. So what's the difference between phase one and phase two? Uh, that's a good question. It just says it was done in two phases. <laughs> uh. So I don't know. Okay. Um, but. I mean, you know, who knows? We and again, I don't have the paper. I don't. Oh, there yep. we go. I can get paper. I can get the paper on this. Yep. We can look into that. Um, you know, for next time. Yep. Uh, uh, here we go. Um, phase one was conducted from 2010 to 2000 October 1st, 2010, through September 30th, 2011. Six laboratories purchased 20 samples each quarter. Um, phase two was at a different time phase, 2011 to 2012, and. Um, six laboratories each received 30 samples purchased from the internet. Oh. So. Purchased from the internet. First. Now, there we go. That's, yeah. that's interesting. So phase one, we are looking at um, those uh, purchased at retail stores. Okay. And phase two, okay. we're from the internet. All and right. That. So that that is really interesting, right? So mm-hmm. what that says is I suspect Again, no, you know, I know we have probably a huge contingent of listeners who are uh, people that sell foods from their homes uh, over the internet. So I don't want to upset them. Right, right. But um, it sounds to me like they probably don't know what they're doing. Could be. And, uh, Small, you know, smaller operations, you know, you know, a little bit more niche market. Yeah. Different infrastructure. How about Di- potential? Yes. Yeah. And different buyer requirements. Yes. Well, yeah. In other words, like no buy requirements, right. right? I'm selling stuff over the internet versus I'm selling to a big chain. And again, you know, we should, we, I'm sure we do have people who are listeners in, in all seriousness who are, uh, who do work for, uh, for retail. And these folks do a tremendous job. Um, just like the, the folks in, you know, for, you know, again, corporate chains, fast food and sit down chains. Um, they, these guys do a tremendous job in terms of setting requirements for people to sell to them. And that, and that is a, a significant bar that, that, uh, uh, food processors have to cross. And so it doesn't surprise me a bit. If you are selling foods over the internet to whoever will buy them, you are going to have a different approach to food safety than if you are selling to uh, Walmart or Shoprite or Wegmans or Food Lion. You know, name your favorite uh, you know retail chain. Absolutely, and um, uh, as I look a little further into the um, to the methods on the on the paper um, here, the first phase those retail were uh, what what the authors term as basic. Um, dry and semi-moist foods. And the internet um, products were more unusual pet foods, including raw foods, exotic animal feeds, and jerky-type treats, mm-hmm. which which is the type of stuff that you would get from the internet, right? Yep. Like, that's, yep. that's the... It, it's not that those two things are mutually exclusive. Um, that's, you know, I'm, I'm unlikely to find a, a raw uh, pet food or raw-type pet food uh, at, my, at my food line. You know, that's, it's just not what, right. what they're stocking. Right. So in, it's some interesting stuff. So is, is LM in, uh, in these foods that much of a surprise? You know, if we had looked at the, before I had posed that question, if I had done a little digging and preparation and looked for that in the, um, it, it found this, uh, 
paper in, in uh, foodborne pathogens and disease, I'd be like, no, no, this is not not a surprise. Uh, yeah. But the first time that I've seen a recall. Well, and you know, and 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 we should uh, we should mention I did. So if you go to Stella and Chewy's website and you click uh, the text at the top that says for information on our voluntary product recall, click here, and it does have all of the the line listing of all the products. But then they go through why were the products recalled, where are the products sold, what is listeria, what should I do. Um, uh, something about high pressure processing. So I'm wondering if they, um, oh, so they, these are HPP processed products. Interestingly, huh. um, uh, what are they doing to correct the situation? Do you, do they test for listeria? How did the contamination occur? Uh, et cetera. So, I mean, not, not great. And I would be interested in your, uh, perspective, um, as a, com- a risk communication guy, but it, to me, it's, this looks like a pretty good start. Like I, I, you know, I haven't read the answers to these questions, but it looks like that's a, you know, that there, at least it's more like, well, this has never happened before. And here's what we're recalling and we'll tell you, we'll get back to you when we know more. Right. So, well, here's, let me, let me pick apart this a little sure. bit now that we're sure. looking at it. Sure. Question. Does high pressure processing eliminate the risk of a listeria? Ant survey says, according to Stella and Chewies, yes. Well, scientific well, studies, studies do show that it will inactivate listeria. That is true. Um, Does it eliminate the risk, Don? Well, no. nothing eliminates the risk, right? Ben. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So so is it is it a is it a control step? Yes. And there it says right. here we're in process of working with third party experts to identify how the organism entered our post-HPP production area. So right. very similar to what you had guessed on, let's see what the post-HPP packing line or packaging machine or plant looks like. Um, you know, that, that often we see uh, LM in an environment within a... Um, within a, a processing plant as opposed to something that survives a, uh, a, a, a kill step. Right. And, and again, the, 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 um, um, the, the processed meat industry has done a great job, I think, or has, has, is making significant strides in controlling listeria in a variety of ways, but including, um, post packaging HPP treatment. So the great thing about HPP is it works on products that are inside a package. And so you can make, hot dogs in your smokehouse, you expose those hot dogs to the environment um, where they might be contaminated with listeria, you you package them, and then you take that packaged product and you run that through a high-pressure processing vessel, and that will give you, uh, you know, a, a, essentially a surface treatment, because that's the only place where the contamination is going to be on the surface. It'll give you a treatment, um, which you can then, and, and then if you know that the product is formulated so that it doesn't support the growth of listeria, um, that's a great way to manage listeria. Risk now. What we don't know about this product really is is all of the details, right? Like so. Obviously, if they are working with a third party expert to identify how the organism entered your their post uh, HPP production area, I guess they must high pressure process it and then re-expose it to the environment and then package it, which to me sounds like a bad idea. And again, I maybe there are some good reasons why they're making it in this particular way. But um, anyway, it's, it's, we need, uh, yeah, we need some more, some more information here. It's good. This is good though. From, uh, you know, a, a holiday weekend announcement, mm-hmm. 
putting stuff together quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's some, you know, there's there's much more information here than what we would have seen a couple of years ago. Uh, and and it's, it says, do they do do we test for listeria? Well, because listeria is considered an environmental pathogen, we conduct environmental testing, which is the recommended method for identification in the post HPP production environment. So yes, they are doing that. Now the question is, how many samples? Where, where are they sampling? Yeah. You know, all of that. And of course, the 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 you know, it's pretty easy to do a pretty poor job. And I, obviously whatever they were doing was not sufficient, right? Because they didn't, they weren't controlling the product in the environment. So, so I would say they probably need to beef that up. It's good. Again, it is good news that they're working with a third party expert. Hopefully it's a good third party expert. And there are, there are some good ones and, and not so good ones out there, but, but again, look good for them for doing something. Right. 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 And this is uh, yeah, not, not bad. So, you know, we, you and I, we've, we we've spent time with this um, with this alliance and, and talking. You know, largely we have the human food world and the pet food and animal food world are are largely not the same food safety people. Um, and and I, I think the you know the animal food side of the alliance has been working really hard on how do we bring preventive controls to an industry that's really not been asked to do this very much historically where, where food safety and, and inspection and, and in some sense uh, preventive controls have been um, required in, in the you know the, the human food area but this you know I, I, this is this will be something like this becomes a, an example I think for um, the adoption of food safety plans and, and putting together preventive controls for for that animal food world. And you know that the this isn't just about dogs or cats getting sick that, you know, we, we've seen obviously the human illnesses for consumption of um, dog food and, and cat food in, in the past, but the idea that that someone like like Bill Marler, who we've had on the podcast, might look and say, "Look, we had a, a miscarriage linked to this exact, um, you know, sequence genome of LM that was in the Stella and Chewy's um, uh, recall." You know, this is hypothetical. Mm-hmm. The, the, the absolutely, that they would that there would be a lawsuit. Like oh yeah, introducing the, into the home. So it's not like this is over an abundance of caution. It, it is we need to remove this stuff from the market, and the food safety world is kind of paying attention because people might get sick from it, and if they are, we're on the hook for it. Right, right. Well, and I, I mean, so yeah. So if you you have a miscarriage, you you culture the organism, you, you sequence the organism, it's an exact match, and you know that you bought product right. from that company. Now, I, I, if you hadn't bought product from that company, I think that it's a much more difficult case to make. But um, but certainly, um, if, if if you had the product in in your house, you know you'd purchase that product. I'd say it's pretty likely. And the other thing too, talking about animals. And humans, I don't know how much, I don't know if we've talked to, I think we probably mentioned uh, the One Health concept uh, before on the podcast, which is something that I've only recently learned about, but it, but basically, the, the and we'll link to the CDC page on this, but the One Health concept is basically a recognition of the idea that the health of humans is connected to the health of animals and the environment. And so it's not like we're looking at human health and animal health. It's really it's really one health, right? That's the idea of the, behind the, the, the concept. So... Um, so anyway, that's an, and this is just another example of why we need this one health approach. 
Right, right, exactly. And, and that um, the more integrated that, that we are with our vet colleagues, because mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. is, you know, that that's, I think, the one, one of the big, uh, big components of the One Health approach is that the pathogens that are existing in, in animals um, that, that our vet colleagues are, are investigating are, are, you know, there's some, some important information for us to glean from that. Uh, right. And this is something, too, that we as IAFP are trying to do a better job, right, of, of cause, because we go to different conferences, right, and, but we need to go to the, some of the same conferences. And so trying to find ways to make IAFP more a conference that uh, people who are interested in, in food safety from a veterinary perspective would be interested in attending. And same thing with getting people from the states to turn out, right? State and local public health, they're, they're an important part of outbreaks. And so they're an important part of food safety. And so how can we make the IAFP conference one that is, that is interesting to them so that they can, that they can come to that conference, right? Because, again, it's the more we all work on this same problem from different perspectives and the more we can all come together you know the the better absolutely i like my i like my vet friends i hang out with a couple of them here three of them <laughs> I, I, I well you know i i have i have i uh, all i can say is we don't have a vet school in new jersey right so we send all of our no well, i no, don't know some, the whole state yeah. there's no vets nope we well there's vets there's no, no vet there's school. school nope, there's training. no school. So we send kids, kids that want to be veterinarians uh, who grow up in New Jersey go to Penn State or Cornell more, you know, typically, uh, or or you know, I don't, I don't know if Delaware has a vet school, but but we do not have a vet school in New Jersey, and it, it is it's a problem. It's definitely a problem. problem. I mean, it does hamper our ability to do certain kinds of research. That 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 again that our colleagues in uh, New York or Pennsylvania or North Carolina can do that we just can't do. Wow. Yep. I have no idea. Yep, yep. Well, that's a problem. Yeah, well, it's probably not anything I can do anything about, so. Oh, you should talk to that Christy guy. Uh, yeah, sure. He's busy. He's busy now. He's busy. He's got to have good. lunch. He's got, he does. He's eating lunch right now. Well, it's, it's 1140. <laughs> it's 11s. It's, it's, not, it's not fun to make fun of Chris Christie's weight, but it's fun. No, but. We, I, had to, I had to explain to one of my graduate students um, who's from Haiti um, about the, she, she, she is a, she's a, a runner. Um, actually, she's, well, she's Anne. She's the one that's done some of our show notes and she's a runner. Um, and so she, you know, she needs to take in a lot of calories to, 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 to you know, to, because she needs the energy to run. And she was explaining how she was having second breakfast. And I said, oh, just like the hobbits. And she did not understand what that was. So I had to explain to her about um, the six meals a day that hobbits eat, um, including 11 um, and second breakfast, and um, and that she, I also explained to her that she needed to uh, she needed to um, watch the movie, or if not the movie, at least read. She didn't have to read the Lord of the Rings, but she should at least read the the book, the the Hobbit. So um, anyway, that was my uh, my pop culture advice to her. Excellent. It's always good to expose folks to to things like hobbits. <laughs> yes. That's a good. It's a good mentor mentorship. I, uh, I feel it's an important part of my job as a mentor to teach them about food safety and American culture, but only well, or British culture, but but only only the parts of the culture that I think are important, like the Lord of the Rings and the right. Wire. Well, I mean, we have to all have. We we just have to recognize our biases, right? Right. Right. We don't have to. We don't have to pretend we don't have them. 
No. We just have to make it clear up front. These right. are the things that I think are important. Right. These are No, these are the things that are important. Right. <laughs> As I say. It's the same. I think we, you were saying the same thing. So, so and just, just for, for, for completeness sake, um, it is breakfast, second breakfast, 11s is lunch and afternoon tea, dinner and supper. Oh, perfect. I'm looking forward to all of my meals today. Yes. Uh, hey, Don. hey, how's it, how do you like your, speaking of meals, how do you like your Apple watch? I love it, Don. Are you losing um, weight? Uh, well, it's, it's very, it's, it's just been, um, shortly. I, well, no. So let me tell you, I'm actually getting an incoming call on it right now. Oh, nice. To, to, um, so I, uh, we went to Canada for a week. Oh, do they, do they have Apple watches in Canada? I, well, I, I brought one. Huh. Um, they let so you in, I, huh? Yeah, they, they let me in. But I also did not exercise for 10 days and ate, like, a lot of bad food, hmm. like like Tim Hortons for 11s every day. Mm. And second breakfast, I had poutine. And nice. Yeah, I ate a lot of bad food. So I came back um, uh, six, uh, almost seven pounds heavier. Uh, Whoa. In 10, 11 days. Whoa. Yeah, so so it turns out. So it turns um, out the Apple Watch does not help you lose weight. Well, no, you still have to move. Huh. Um, and I did no activity until we got back. So I'm I track you know on, on my Apple Watch. I, we, it tells you about calories that you mm-hmm. um, uh, burn actively. And so since I, since coming home, I am on a uh, record uh, pace of uh, over a thousand and ninety calories burned. Um, every day since nice. I've been back, nice. which which makes up for the over you know net increase of calorie consumption of probably twenty six hundred calories a day. Okay, um, when I was cool. away. But cool. but so anyways, so did you? But you did you find? So this is interesting to me. So did you find that while you were vacationing that you were like because I I've been very obsessed with my rings and getting my rings, but yeah, when I went away for the Fourth of July. Uh, Independence Day, um, American Independence Day um, holiday. I I didn't. I couldn't. I just didn't. I mean, I, I I tried to get my you know my blue ring for standing, and maybe some days I got my red 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 ring for calories. But even even when I'm here at home in my normal routine, I have trouble getting the blue ring for for cal- for exercise. Yeah. See, I um. I just gave up when I was there, and mm-hmm. now I'm now I'm on the ring. I'm I'm fully on on my engaged in rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I learned things like coaching hockey and running a practice like I did yesterday. I was 336 or 338 active calories mm, burned, mm-hmm. which yeah. was awesome. I yeah. didn't know I was yeah. even, uh, close to, to something like that. Um, I'm going to wear it. I haven't played, I haven't played a game of hockey with it on. Mm. Um, and I'm going to do that tonight. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you know what. Uh, what that entails. Well, be, be um, careful. Don't, don't let those, don't get in any fist fights. I know, that, I know that happens in hockey all the time. Not yeah, Not my hockey. <laughs> oh, good. I, I, and I have the, uh, shatterproof sport Apple watch. Nice. So I nice. should be, uh, I should be okay. I'm going to oh, try it. Um, what, you, what kind so, of band did you get? I just got, I'm like, you know, you know me, Don, I am basic as, as basic comes black band, sky gray or uh, space gray metal, um, uh, 42 millimeter. Mm. Uh, Apple Active nice. Sport, whatever nice. it is. Nice. Yes. Um, to match my iPhone 5 black that has no case on it. <laughs> Very cool. Um, I, what was I going to, I, I want to ask you, so are you still wearing your Fitbit? 
I am. I am. So, so here's the thing. Yeah. So, uh, and I posted something on, on Facebook today about uh, Fitbit, actually a really, a nice, uh, a nice article on, uh, on, on Fitbit by Neil Sedaris, I think, uh, who, who David is a, Sedaris. David Sedaris, who's a, yeah, Neil Sedakis is a singer. David yeah. Sedaris is a writer. <laughs> we like, I like the, David Sedaris from Raleigh. Is he? Yeah. How about that? Um, and, and, um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, so I, the watch is great. And I, I, someday all my friends I'm sure will have watches and there will be some sort of social aspect to wearing the watches and talking with people, um, you know, about their rings. But what I really like about Fitbit is I really like the social component, right? So for example, I'm, I'm Fitbit friends with, um, you, my fit. Oh, no, I'm no, not. I don't, I don't, you don't have, have a Fitbit. Fitbit. So, but, but, uh, uh, Lily Yang, who, you know, yes. um, uh, and, um, Brian Souders, who, you know, and Randy Warabo. So all of the, I am Fitbit friends with all of these people. And so Fitbit is great because of the peer pressure aspect of it, right? Like showing you all of your friends and like how they're doing. Right. So I can see like, uh, I'm neck and neck with Brian Souders at the moment or last time my Fitbit synced, but Randy is kicking our butt. Uh, I'm ahead of Lily. I'm ahead of, uh, Linda. Uh, I'm, I'm ahead of, uh, Mark Walderhog, who's a, a FDA colleague, uh, risk assessment colleague. Um, so that's, re- I really like that, right? Like the fact that I know how people are doing and that's some motivation and there isn't that social component yet with the watch or, and, or most people I know don't have watches yet. So. Right. Right. Well, do you find that your steps are equal? No, no. no. So tell me, so, tell me more about that. Yeah. So, um, Fitbit phone and watch all show different amount of steps. Um, uh, the the uh, the Fitbit typically is the most conservative, I believe. I just looked at this the other day. The Fitbit is the most conservative. The um, phone is the most aggressive, like the most oh. number showing the most number of steps, and the watch is somewhere in between. Interesting. I so I've found um, you know I, I run um, on treadmills, mm-hmm. not so much outside, mm-hmm. and and I found uh, so over a three mile run yesterday. My watch got me to three miles while the treadmill said I was at 2.78 miles um, on, you know, on. And so I, the watch calculates based on what it thinks my stride is mm-hmm. and, and steps where the I, and I don't know what the plus or minus accuracy is on on the, you know, the the either of them, actually. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was like, oh, well, I'm going to now run. I'm going to run to my three miles on the treadmill because that's what I have been doing right in, in my goal. So I ended up with extra on, on my watch. Right. So, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, well, and you know, one of the things, there are things you can, and I have done a little bit of research and people reporting on the internet that their watches are not accurate. So one of the things that you can do, uh, uh, to help is bring, if you, if you do go for a run inside, you can't, you can't do anything, but if you go for right. a run outside, bring, your phone with you and do an outdoor run on the watch with your phone with you while you're running. And then it'll use the GPS in the phone. It'll, it knows where you're going and that will help to calibrate the accuracy of the watch. So that watch should, if you, if you are doing exercise outside where it can track your movement, um, it should, um, improve the accuracy over time. Well, that's, that's a good, that's a good tip. Hmm. 
Uh-huh. Well, welcome to uh, Apple Watch Talk. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, we're uh, currently we don't have any guests because we're the only ones who know <laughs> yeah, have one that we know. Um, but I, hey, uh, plug in for the New Jersey Association for Food Protection or the Metro Area Association for Food Protection, whatever you're called. New Jersey these days. Yeah, um, that you'll you'll have a Apple Watch at the silent auction at IAFP. Right, I believe I I think this exact uh, model that Ben has. Oh, fantastic! It's a great so, model. So yep, so I'm I'm enjoying it. Um, hey, so uh, so I think that might be a show. I think that's a show. Um, thanks for, thanks for making time for me today and being flexible and scheduled. Cause I did text you yesterday. We, um, are in the last steps or I don't know where we are in the full, but very close to the end of permanent residency in the U S and, and Danny and Jack and I all had to go get our biometrics taken, uh, at, uh, us CIS, which I think is customs Im- immigration, something people so we uh jack cut his fingerprints taken i had mine and it's like it was like a whole involved situation it was like an hour long wow they roll so i I had to put my hand on something like my right hand was on it three different times like one full scan one individual fingerprint each and then um they rolled on my fingerprints. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't know that's what i guess that's what they do with criminals or people from canada that's (laughs) Same thing. It's the same exact. Canada was settled by criminals. I don't know if you knew that. I think you are confusing <laughs> us with New Zealand. <laughs> and now we pissed off everybody uh, that has a clean on their money. Yeah. Boom. Well, hey, and we've left out Australia, who are the real convicts out there. Exactly. Now, now we've done it. Um, cool. Hey, um, let's uh, let's do this again uh, in the in the future, and I'll see you in a in a little while. Sounds good. Bye bye. Bye. What is wrong with my internet? It's I'm trying. It's tr- been trying for the last five minutes to load apple.com slash watch. Oh, well, that's no good. No. So I don't know. Something, there must be a blockage on the internet. The internet's got a, it's got, hopefully there's no stroke. <laughs> that would be the worst. If the internet had a stroke, it would be, uh, be It may be having a stroke right now. Could be. Um, so I've got, I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to golf with uh, 
uh, Tom Ford and Rich Linton. Nice. Yeah, nice. I'm going to go meet Tom in an hour for lunch, and then we're nice. going to go golf. It's going to be awesome. Nice. Remind, remind Rich that uh, I want him to offer me a job. I will. I will. You know what? He might just <laughs> offer you a job. That, in I'm, fact, in fact, I was thinking about. I don't know why I was thinking about this this morning, um, but it's apropos golf. Um, maybe he needs a caddy. He might. Need a, <laughs> he might. Um, he's. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I do like to. Uh, I like to play golf with them every once in a while. You, oh, that's that's nice. That's nice. That's a that's fun. a nice thing to do. And those it seems like they would be those would be two great guys to go play golf. Yeah. With. But now, is that allowed to have like a threesome? I thought you had to have like two or four. Wait, what are we talking about? I'm uh, I'm talking about golf. What are you talking about? I don't know. I don't know. It's gotten very uncomfortable there. <laughs> um, yes. No. You can you can have three in a group. Uh, huh. You can have two. Three, one, two, three, or four. You cannot have five. Okay. Five or five's just too too slow. Okay. Hmm. Um, yeah. So interesting. Uh, now, do you guys do you guys uh, walk? Uh, we we ride because mm. the golf course here that we play at, uh, which is right on campus, called Lonnie Pool uh, Golf Club, um, is uh, it's a very uh, long distance between some greens and tees. Ah, okay. And so I don't think I've I've only seen a few people walk the course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the driving keeps the pace of play. Oh yeah, because if you were walking, you would be you'd be slowing everybody else down. You'd be sorry, plus, yeah. plus it is hot there in North Carolina, right? It is. I, you know what, what does my watch say right now? It's actually very comfortable. Eighty-two degrees and, and partly, part, well, a little bit of cloud in the sky. So there, there'll be a little bit of shade, but only eighty-two today, which is which is awesome. That's nice. Yeah, it is. Uh, I played. So oh, it's, it's eighty-one in New Jersey. Look at that. Practically the same. It's pretty pretty much the the same thing totally. Um, I played golf with my dad last week when we were in Canada. Oh, nice! And I uh, walked three point seven miles. Uh, in a, and I rode in the cart like that is walking from the cart right. to my ball. Right. Pretty pretty. It's not bad. No, it's good. So what's your? You, you did one seventeen mile day. Is that your record on your Fitbit? Didn't you tell me that? Some like you walked like almost a marathon. Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, I have to go back and and look and. It's probably easiest to look. What do you do? What's your like normal steps? Oh, it it, it really depends on the day, right? Like, so while I was on vacation um, and not doing anything, I was getting like 3000 steps. And there are days when I work from home, if I'm just like, if I'm really like feel terrible and the weather's lousy and I just don't do anything, um, you know, it'll be very, very low, but, but it could be an order of magnitude greater. It could be 30,000 steps on a day when I am working on the treadmill and taking the dog for a walk. Um, so 30,000 steps. That's, yeah. that's incredible. I've, yeah. the, I, I had a 15,000 step day mm-hmm. since I had my watch. Mm-hmm. This is the mm-hmm. first time I've tracked it. So, but that wasn't even like a very, super active like it wasn't over like i wasn't purposely trying to walk right it was just yeah just doing your yeah and it's it's you know one thing about whether it's a watch or a fitbit it's and this is this comes out in the sedaris article which we should we should also link to that um um it's it it's just it's like it's like weighing yourself or counting calories even if you're not trying to diet just the simple act of being aware of a number influences yeah. your behavior. It's like, oh, I have this many steps today. Hmm, what did I do to make that either a high number or a low number? And what can I do in the future? And, you know, it's like uh, one of the things that, I, that I've done, uh, you know, I just, I just, when I go to a store, I just park in the first parking spot and I walk, right? I don't like look for the best, closest 
spot, which is just insane anyway, right? You think about like why are, why are you doing why are people doing that? Right. Um, and then I park far away at work, and I you know and 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 then the, the I do I one of the things I have been trying to be pretty religious about, even if. I'm on vacation is when my watch tells me to stand up. I stand up, yeah, and <laughs> which it, is a little creepy. It is, and, and I so I went. I took the boys to see uh, Inside Out, the mm. Pixar movie mm. yesterday. Yeah, haven't seen it yet. No spoilers, but I've been hearing no. lots of good things about it. It was great. I mean, it was it was fantastic. We saw it in 3D, which mm. is the first like feature film that I've ever watched in 3D, and it was great. I mean, you know, animation just lends itself well to a 3D, lots of depth. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, during the movie. I kind of forgot that I was wearing my watch and I had my hand over top of my watch. Mm. So, so I got this like, Mm. Like joy buzzer, mm, kind of mm-hmm, like, Whoa. Mm-hmm. and then it was like, oh, stand up now. And I'm like, I can't, I can't stand up. Siri, just chill out. Yeah, because I just call my watch Siri because everything mm. that's Apple really, I just, I just assume it's Siri telling me things to mm-hmm. do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we were driving, so we did, you know, 16 hours in the car yeah. on, yeah. Uh, and I got, I mean, it was basically Siri yelled at me, like, oh, on, I know, I, I experienced that in uh, much smaller doses, but yeah, it's like a four or five hour drive to Ithaca, and um, yeah, it's like I can not going to stand up now, Siri. I'm not going to pull over. I you're can't just gonna do have, it. You're just going to yeah. have to deal with it. Yeah. And then she just doesn't talk to you for a while after that. <laughs> yeah, at least an hour. <laughs> Pissed off. Yeah. Totally. There were no sweet nothings from Siri for at least an hour. <laughs> um, uh, hey, are you, you're not going to IFT, are you? Nope. Uh, lucky. You are. Yeah. But just Poor for bastard. an hour. <laughs> Go to Chicago right? for an hour. Yeah, well, pretty much. I mean, well, it's a little more. I got to fly. My talk is at 10 o'clock on Monday morning. I'm mm-hmm. flying in late on Sunday night. I'm going to go to the talk. I haven't registered. I'm going to see if I actually might not. I don't know what the rules are on that. I mean, yeah, not to sneak even in. Register. Yeah, and just go give my talk and then go. Yeah. Uh, and then I fly, I'll be back home by 7 o'clock next, on Monday night. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's it. Michelle's not going either. Linda is going. So I'm going to see if I can. Oh. I don't even know if I get in. I, have, I don't even have a hotel. Just going to sleep uh, at the airport? I might. I don't know what I'm going to I, I just. I figured it's Chicago. I'll find a hotel. I'll, I'll figure it out on the way there. I don't need to be right where the meeting is because I'm only going to, like, I'm going to literally walk in and walk out. So. I bet. You should get a hotel, Ben. I mean, well, that's. Well, I, uh, I mean, I believe in being like you know, free spirit and all that. Oh, if Linda's going to be there, maybe you can like camp on her floor. Look, I'm going to get a hotel. It just might not be like it might be somewhere cool, far away from the IFT site. Well, yeah, the the, the airport hotel is pretty nice. Now maybe I'll stay there. Yeah. Inconvenient. Um, anyway, <laughs> I don't even know where it is. I, I know that IFT is in Chicago. I don't know where. Uh, at the convention center. Uh, well, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I got lots of time. Don, it's a whole week away. This is what I mean by not planning for talks. That is uh, that is pretty uh, pretty dis uh, I, like, I, uh, yeah disorganized. Uh, not no, planning. It is not disorganized. Okay, it sorry. Purposeful. Purposeful. Yeah. Not not worrying. Not okay. Worrying, it'll, All right. It'll work. I'm, I'm worried enough for both of us. Hey, there's a golf editing. You know what? You know who should go to this? <laughs> you? No. Paul Hall. Yes. <laughs> Let him know that there's a there's an IFT golf outing yes. that he could go to. He could go to that. <laughs> when you first were telling me about playing golf, I thought you were going to say, 
at, uh, at in Portland you were going to go play golf. I'm not playing golf in Portland. Well, I could play golf in Portland. You could. Anyone, in fact, in fact, Ben, Anybody anyone could. can play golf in Portland. There doesn't need to be a special event. No, no, there doesn't. And, um, you know, you could you, you know, a one-some, a two-some, a three-some, a four-some, 12 people in three different tee-off times if you wanted. You could. That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Why couldn't actually i was gonna say why couldn't ift be in las vegas this time mainly because it would be a much longer day for me Hmm. i've never been to las vegas though oh it's nice for about 15 minutes which is all i'm gonna be there there you go perfect match made in heaven (laughs) so i believe as they say since wimbledon is on Hmm. the ball is in your court when it comes to uh shows Oh my God! It's the the all the balls. I have all the great balls in my court. You have so I have, many balls. There's a lot of balls up in the court. So many, so many balls. They're all dropped. It's a mess. It's a mess. You drop them all over the court. They are it's, up in the grill. Yes. Um, you've been. Someone's teabagging you. Yes. There's you just know? it's just balls everywhere. It's so. Um, I, would I, you like some help with no? Those? Let okay. me let me stew in my guilt, and I'm maybe I will not do anything else today, but get this get these balls off my court. Okay. Um, Did you know we had a? I don't know if this if I told you about this one. Mm. We actually had a new T.R. Carlisle, fun, informative show, five stars. The hosts oh. are incredibly entertaining, on topic and off, providing information on current events as well as historical perspective on the food safety world. As a grad student new to the world of food safety, the show has been invaluable. T.I. Well, Carlaw. Thanks, thanks to thanks to thanks to T.I. Carlaw. Yeah. Do, do that. That was awesome. That's really nice. Yeah, that's very nice. We we appreciate that. I, my favorite is still that we'll go on a t-shirt at some point. Topical and honest, as it is state of the art and old school. <laughs> that's from Culinary Heritage. Nice. Well, I think we have the best fans, Ben. We do. We do. It's good. We got to keep the fans happy. We do, and oh my gosh, the fans have been so patient with us. Yeah, and. Uh, Dan Latender, La, La Latandra, uh-huh. Latandra in my in my French double, double Latandra as we call double, him, double double Latandra, D Dub Latandra. Um, he he loves us, and we we don't give him what he wants, which is podcasts for him to listen to as he travels on on planes. Yes, so we need to do, we need to do that. We need to do that. Whoa.